Welcome to the new revolution in fitness and performance. The Ardell Training Podcast. Forging athletic bodies around the world. Here's your host, physical therapist and strength coach, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, if you're looking for top-level strength and conditioning equipment and gear, my primary resource is Rogue Fitness. Rogue has exceptional quality kettlebells, bars, plates, sleds, conditioning equipment, home gym racks, apparel, and everything you need to train strong and get results. I've been recommending the kettlebells for a long time, but all the equipment and gear is top-notch. So if you're looking to add equipment or start building your home gym, Rogue is the place to go. Go to ardellotraining.com slash rogue and check out all the great equipment, accessories, and apparel. Again, that's ardellotraining, R-D-E-L-L-A, training.com slash rogue, R-O-G-U-E. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 114, and I've got a great one for you today as I have a awesome interview with Dr. Fred Hatfield, uh, Dr. Squat. Now, Dr. Hatfield is a return guest to the podcast. We did an interview uh, some time ago, and my goal was to make this session even better than the first. I think you're going to get a lot of value out of it. And here's some of the things that we're going to talk about. You're going to learn about uh, his greatest influences as a strength coach and athlete, you're going to hear about his relationship with Dr. Yuri Verkoshansky, the author of Super Training and many other great books. You're going to hear a great review of CAT, which is Compensatory Acceleration Technique. That's the key method that uh, he used and advocates for developing strength. And you're going to get some specific advice around that. You're going to get his best advice about strength training and what he would recommend over a six to 12 week time period, a specific program. And then you're going to hear about the book that he's most proud of and uh, a lot more in this uh, information pack session. So listen, last week on the podcast, I did mention something. I mentioned that you would have the opportunity to win a free kettlebell. So I thought about this and I decided to modify things just a bit in case you need something else besides a kettlebell. So this is an easy opportunity for you, the listener, to win a $50 gift card from Rogue Fitness to get whatever you want with that uh, $50 gift card. And again, if you don't know, Rogue Fitness is literally one of my favorite equipment suppliers. I buy a lot of stuff from Rogue. I think their equipment is just top-notch. So starting today... April the 8th, 2015, until the end of the day, April 22nd, 2015. And the end of the day is 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm giving away three $50 gift cards for Rogue Fitness. Here's all you have to do. If you like the Ardello Training Podcast, simply post your review in iTunes or Stitcher. And if you do both, you'll be entered two times in the random drawing. Now, if you do win one, if I pick your name, then you can only win one time. So if you enter twice, you can't win two gift cards. You can only win one time. I want to be fair and and give the opportunity to three different people. And then all you need to do is let me know which review was yours. So here's the specifics. In iTunes, search the Ardella Training Podcast. Once you find the podcast, click ratings and reviews, click on write a review and post your review. You must be signed in to do this and then submit your review. It usually takes a a day or two for that review to show. And then once it posts, send me a screenshot or let me know which review is yours. Message me through Facebook or contact me through the ardellotraining.com website. As I always say, the reviews really help to grow the show, and it's really important, guys. I I want to be totally honest here. I need reviews for the show to continue to grow, and it's really, again, easy to do, and I wanted to give an incentive for you, the listener, to write a review. 
and offer the $50 gift card as my way of saying thanks for the review. So only the reviews between April the 8th and April the 22nd will be included in the giveaway. I, I didn't want to go back retrospectively and, you know, I, I certainly appreciate all those reviews, but I want to make this uh, fair and just do it in a certain time period. And if you have done a review for the show, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And the three winners will be notified by me, and then I'll submit your $50 gift card for Rogue Fitness, and you can use whatever you want. Again, the deadline is the end of the day, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on April the 22nd. And I will announce the three winners the following week on the podcast. If you want to know more about how to do a review, you can go to ardellatraining.com forward slash review, and I put together a little uh, screen capture uh, step-by-step process if you need more information on how to leave a review. All right, listen, we are going to get into the interview with Dr. Fred Hatfield. Let me tell you about Dr. Hatfield very briefly, uh, just in case you're not familiar with him, but Dr. Fred Hatfield is a renowned coach and strength athlete. He is iconic in the area of strength and performance training. Dr. Hatfield, also known as Dr. Squat, won the world championships three times in the sport of powerlifting and performed a competitive squat with 1,014 pounds at a body weight of 255, and he was in his 40s when he did this. Dr. Hatfield's former positions include an assistant professorship at the University of Wisconsin and senior vice president and director of research and development for Weider Health and Fitness. He's the co-founder and president of the ISSA. He has written over 60 books, including several bestsellers. You're going to hear about some of his greatest work in this interview. And he's written hundreds of articles in the general areas of sport training, fitness, bodybuilding, and performance nutrition. He has been a coach and training consultant for several world-ranked and professional athletes. And Dr. Hadfield qualified for the 1998 World Championships in Olympic weightlifting and competed in the master's division. He has a long and extensive background in sport and competition, and he's just uh, an amazing man with unbelievable insight. So with that, we're going to get ready and get into the interview. I should tell you right up front that we had some technical challenges throughout this interview. Uh, It was really challenging on my end. Some of the things I, I couldn't actually hear his responses to and What I did is I went back and I really edited this episode as best I could and uh, really tried to smooth things out. I think you'll get the key points and a lot of value from the session, but just know that there were some real technical challenges with this interview session, unfortunately, that were out of my control. But I think the uh, the interview came out as best it could. I apologize for the technical challenges. Unfortunately, that is just... uh, part of the process sometimes with doing these, um, these interviews. So again, you'll definitely get the key points and a lot of value from it. One last thing I did want to mention also, and this is important that at the end of the interview, at the very end of the interview, he talks about the seven laws of training. And this is really, really, uh, great information. And my friend Craig Marker wrote a great article on breakingmuscle.com. So I'm going to have a link for that article in the show notes for the episode. Definitely check that out because that is a really, really important point. And these uh, seven laws are something that he's talked about in the past. And they're really valuable uh, things to understand and apply in our training. So definitely check that out. All right, let's get started with the interview with Dr. Fred Hatfield. All right, guys. Well, I am very honored to have Dr. Fred Hatfield, Dr. Squat, come back on the podcast and join us this week. And this is going to be amazing. I was very honored, very humbled to interview Dr. Hatfield earlier on this podcast. And I think this one is going to be even better than the first. So first of all, Doc, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm glad to be back, Scott. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is really, really a huge honor for me. So the first question is actually an interesting opening question, and that is, what's something that people may not know about Dr. Fred Hadfield? I, I, uh, it's a hard question for me to answer because I 
don't have the gift of seeing myself as others see me. Right. Uh, not many people do. On the other hand, uh, I, I, I want to say that uh, I'm a very spiritual man. And I'm intensely spiritual, in fact. And, and uh, that's not to say that I'm religious, because I am not. And uh, another thing that uh, people may not be aware of is that I get mad like other people. I scream and holler at, uh, at uh, my kids and other people more than I should. And, uh, and all of those other natural human qualities that uh, some people um, identify man as having. So uh, that's me. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a man. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And I think that's important that, you know, you're human like the rest of us. So it's, it's, uh, you know, again, people perceive you differently. And I, I realize that's definitely a hard question to answer. I'm well, sure. that's why it was hard because absolutely you know, somehow or other, uh, you know, uh, my, my status out there has grown beyond, <laughs> beyond the proportions that, uh, I would care for them to grow. Yes. So as we get into things here and we get into the, the strength topics and obviously your, your background and all the incredible wisdom that you have, I wanted to ask you, who would you say was your biggest influence in your career and why? Well, you know, my, my life is, uh, I like to section my life off in, in, into chapters and each chapter had uh, uh, one or two individuals that had profound influence on me. In my early formative years, I was growing up in an orphanage and a guy by the name of Fred Meckel had a very profound influence on me. He, I was, uh, he was an artist. One of that. He's on permanent display at the Wadsworth Athenaeum in Hartford, Connecticut. A uh, very famous guy. And, and anyway, he, he had decided that he was going to teach me how to draw. We went out into the woods to draw and he sat me down and cordoned off one square inch of ground with some a couple of pieces of paper. And he said, I want you to draw that square inch of ground. And I said, that's an interesting uh, thing to do. So I said, all right. I sat down and I obligingly began to draw and I erased occasionally and I uh, uh, decided to uh, put a little bug in there that uh, had crawled into the scene, but then the bug left. So I erased the bug and <laughs> I was having quite a time. Anyway, he came back and looked at it, looked at me and looked at it again. And he crumpled up my paper and said, do you mean to tell me you want to paint all of this? And he waved his arms at the landscape beyond, beyond me. And he said, and you can't even do one square inch of it. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I, in my young mind, I I, I was devastated but it, that stuck with me, and, and sure. uh, over the years, it took on quite a different meaning from what what I thought it might be. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, and uh, that's I think I think it was then and during that period of my life that I began to be become more spiritually oriented. Uh, all through uh, all through my childhood, I wrote a lot of poetry and stuff like that. All the way through the Marines, all the way through college, and I, I still have some of the poetry that I wrote back then. And uh, it's all very spiritual. I'm sorry, I was just saying. I, I think that's probably something that uh, a lot of people don't know about you as well. Well, the next big influence in my life was a guy by the name of Peter Thorne. Uh, in my in my teenage years, I began to realize that I was going to be an athlete. I was an athlete. I was strong as hell. I could throw bells of hay up in a truck better than the men at the orphanage. And uh, I met this guy, Peter Thorne. He was the physical director at the local YMCA in Middletown, Connecticut at the time. And he introduced me to weightlifting and, and also to gymnastics, which both of which became my my passions. Uh, and uh, Peter still is a close friend of mine. He's 78 now or 79, something like that. And, right. And we talk on this week. And uh, to this day, he remains an influence on, on my way of thinking and the things that I believe and do. And then I met A.B. Grossfeld. Some of you may remember A.B. Grossfeld. He was on the Olympic team for some three, four times and, and uh, the Olympic coach of the gymnastics team. Well, he was my coach at Southern Connecticut State University. And uh, I just love gymnastics, and I love Davey, and, and uh, 
And uh, he had a profound influence on me. And then past that time of my life, I went into the Marine Corps. I had no uh, real heroes then other than the uh, fabled Chesty Puller uh, from the Korean War days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But then, but then I began to grow up and in, in, into manhood, and, and uh, uh, I, I didn't feel the need to find people that uh, that I could follow anymore. You know, I, I had my own path. But lo and behold, then I began to run into some of the real giants in my life. Uh, Heinz Wirthaler, uh, from the from the German uh, Federation of, of uh, Powerlifting was a, was a, a guy that uh, I didn't like her uh, who knew more about strength than any ten men I think and he, some of the, his writings on strength I still use to this day and uh, then I met Yuri Verkashansky when I went to study at the Institute of Smart Sport in the Soviet Union yes and uh, he's probably the brightest guy I've ever met in my life when it came to sports science. He, he, had a, he had a marvelous mind. He was able to put threads together and weave beautiful fabric of training methodology and science out of disparate bits of information and shards of knowledge. The guy was just tremendous. And I learned a lot from him. And that's kind of where I sit now, you know. Yes. Most, most of my mentors, with the exception of my very first one, are all dead. And here I am. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now, so that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of mentorship right there that you mentioned in all that. With Dr. Verkoshansky, how long did you work with him? Uh, off and on for about uh, eight or ten years. I, I, I first met him when I, when I went to the Soviet Union for a period of time to study with a, with a uh, group of uh, fellow students, exchange students. And... Uh, I spent uh, some time with him then, but then uh, somehow or other, I don't know how, he got a hold of my first, the book, the first book I ever wrote on powerlifting, and he was dumbfounded by it. So I got invited back, went there a second time, and I found out that Verkoshansky had taken my book and published it in in Russian, and uh, it was a popular book over there, <laughs> and. Much more so than really here. You know how the old saying goes: "No man is a prophet in his own land." (laughs) Yes. Uh, Which book was that, Doc? Powerlifting. Powerlifting. Complete guide. Okay. All right. What would you say was your greatest lesson from Doctor Verkoshansky? Probably a a difficult question to answer, but well, yeah, it it really is. In fact, you told me that you wanted to ask me that, and 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 the greatest lesson, as far as I can tell it's it's going to uh, well it comes in two parts the first one is in all the world of sport speed is king and i had uh, discussion after discussion with verkashansky about that particular uh, bit of of wisdom he did not believe that speed was king in the sport of powerlifting i finally convinced him that it was uh, even in powerlifting where the weights are moving very slow your intention is to go as fast as you can. That is to say, if you're a, an accomplished powerlifter, right. which most powerlifters are not. Yes. And uh, so that's point number one. And then, but point number two was the whole concept of how to train, and the uh, the uh, that's where I formulated my plan based on Verkashansky's teaching that I called cat. C-A-T, compensatory yes. acceleration training. Yes. Where you compensate for an improving leverage over the course of a movement by accelerating the bar so that you're always pushing with maximum force, even at the easiest point of the movement. And then, of course, it doesn't take too much motor learning to figure out that sometime just before lockout, you got to slow the weight down, put the brakes on so you don't jam your elbow or jam your whatever you know, at the end of the movement and from ballistic stress. And uh, most scientists that I've talked to poo-poo that whole notion and they say, our studies indicate that you can start slowing, that most, most guys will start to slow down about halfway through the movement in anticipation of lockout. And twice I've been challenged on that. Right. And I said, hook me up. They hooked me up. And I was able to go to within an eighth of an inch of lockout before the force curve diminished. 
Fascinating. So much for your theories. <laughs> Compensatory acceleration. Yeah. yeah. It's the name of the game in, in sports training. Yes. Now, so th- this is great, and I'm glad you brought this up because I've had a lot of questions on this um, actually since the first interview that we did. And people wanted to know, you know, how they can best train it and and learn it and learn that motor skill. So I wonder I'll if you can maybe. How. Yeah. It's very simple. <clears throat> Get yourself in a, uh, in a uh, sandy beach or something nice and soft with a real lightweight on your bar, on your back. Say, let's say a 135-pound barbell, you know, two plates, one on each end, or even lighter than that, 95 pounds, say. And jump as high as you can and do it a few times. And then get yourself a uh, that same bar, and, and if you're an Olympic weightlifter, right. and... and and uh, to a quarter squat and explode out of it and throw the bar as high as you can. And you do movements like that. That'll teach you how to explode all the way. They have a, a new, I shouldn't say it's new. I first saw it 10 years ago, some contraption, a throw machine of some sort. Yes. Uh, I think it was uh, developed in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. In any event, you're laying down, you're doing a bench press, and you throw the weight out of your hands. And this device is, uh, catches the bar so that it doesn't come back down and crush you. That's a beautiful machine. The problem is it costs so damn much to manufacture that thing. <laughs> right. And, uh, right. I remember once over in Germany years ago, I was over there doing a series of seminars, and uh, there was a guy at one of, at the FIBO, um, which is a huge fitness exposition that they have over Cologne, had this uh, software where the, uh, the computer software that he had controlled the speed of the weight. And uh, he was able to adjust it in such a way that he would make the weight heavier and heavier as you progress through a movement. And, and after three or four tries, the computer would learn what your strength level was, what your ability to accelerate was, and all of those things. And it would adjust accordingly to optimize the speed of movement and there are machines like that out there that are just beautiful. The problem with them is that none of them simulate actual human movement on planet Earth against gravity. I'm a big believer in gravity uh, being the single best teacher. That's why I said throw the, throw the bar up as high and so forth. What about uh, chains or bands? I mean, what are your... Yeah, well, you know... Everybody talks about changing bands like they're something new on the scene. When I was when I was a teenager, 12, 13 years old, we tried that stuff. And and there were guys at the YMCA that I that I started going to uh, under Peter Thorne's tutelage that were using bands and chains and various other contraptions like that. And uh, I played with it, played with it, and, and decided that there was a better way. And I threw all that stuff away. I, I never used it again. Uh, I think it's uh, archaic. It's not as good as compensatory acceleration. It's certainly not as good either as some of the machines that are out there. Is it bad? Is it wrong? Is it uh, stupid or anything? No, of course not. There's no such thing as bad in the world of training. There's only good, better, best. Right, right. And I always opted for what I perceived to be best. Yeah, so, so the best way is really to practice the skill of compensatory acceleration technique. I believe and, so. Uh, what, what do you think uh, for most people is the typical learning curve? I, I know it's obviously going to vary depending on the individual and their, their background and things, but in general, what should people expect as far as where they could be? Any decent athlete, yeah, any average athlete can learn how to do compensatory acceleration movements after the first workout. It doesn't take more than a workout to... Get okay. it down, Pat. Okay. So it's a relatively that's short learning curve. It's a very easy technique, very easy uh, to, uh, uh, you know, adjust your brains so don't stop pushing halfway up. And, you know, if, uh, if there's, there's a technique that I would recommend, it has to do with uh, a biofeedback technique of sound. You say to yourself out loud or just in your own mind, yeah, just right. that. Yeah. And that's the way you want the move to go. Well, that will certainly work. I mean, that certainly is biofeedback. Absolutely. Doc, let me ask you. So let's go, let's talk about powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. 
Um, when did you start to make the shift away from Olympic weightlifting and specialize as a power lifter? When did you kind of realize? 1972. Okay. I stopped Olympic weightlifting because I realized that I was going to have a hard time making the Olympic team. I was a stronger, stronger than just about anybody on the team. Uh, although they wouldn't agree. They wouldn't, uh, admit to that if you asked them today. <laughs> right. Because they were beating me, you know, and yeah, and uh, there was no reason for it. I could uh, I could clean a house, but I couldn't hold it overhead because my elbows did not lock out. So these guys were doing jerks with weights that I could only dream about because they were able to hold it on their skeletal structure, bone on bone. Yeah, with my bent elbows, I I, I had the same thing that Russ Nip held Russ Nip back, you know, he, he could have been a world champion. And the only thing that held him back was he had the same affliction that I had. I just couldn't hold the weights overhead. Right. And, uh, so I just quit. So was that a mobility issue I, or? No, no, not mobility. My, you know, some people have elbows that uh, will not hyperextend. Yes. They don't even extend. Okay. All my right. elbow is in a perpetual state of my, of mild flexion. Yes. Okay. Not a good thing for an Olympic weightlifter. Right. Doc, can you remind people of your age when you set your world uh, squat record? Well, the first time I set a world record, I guess I must have been something in the vicinity of 40. All right. 38, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and it was in the 198-pound uh, class, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, and then uh, following that, I broke my last world record when I was about 46. When I squat 1,014, that ended my career. Uh, because I had, by, at that, by that time, had squat over 1,000 pounds, probably close to 100 times. And I wow. said, there's, wow. there's no more sense in doing this. I'm going to end up crippling myself or something. So I quit. Right. I was still getting stronger. Yes. In fact, in competition, in uh, in a in a uh, uh, workout, I did eleven hundred pounds, five hundred kilograms, and I I knew that it was just a matter of time if I stuck with it that I would be able to do that same five hundred kilograms uh, in a competition. But I I didn't. Uh, you know, there's wow. an old saying, you know, attributed to Confucius. I don't know if he ever said this. A man climbs a mountain for the first time just to prove that he can do it. He climbs a mountain a second time just to prove that the first time wasn't a fluke. <laughs> right. Shame on he who climbs a mountain a third time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. That's great advice. On a different talking point as far as your, your heavy squatting goes, I'm wondering if you could talk about the famous squat off with Tom Platt's. And maybe what, what did you learn from that experience? What was that like? I don't take anything for granted when it comes to Tom Platt. <laughs> he, he was a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom was a very, very strong guy. And, you know, just because he had big muscles doesn't mean that he's not strong. He was. And uh, he had it in his mind, Tom did, that he could beat me. We both weighed 198 pounds. We had to do an exhibition at FIBO in Germany. Yes. Uh, for Vince McMahon. We were working for Vince at the time. Okay. And uh, unbeknownst to me, Tom was, uh, you know, really working out hard behind my back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, So we got up to, uh, oh, in the 700s. Now, mind you, that's a lot of weight, you know. Because I still held the world record at that time in the 198s at 833 pounds or 800, something like that. I can't remember what it was. Yes. And um, so we're in the 700th Tom with the assistance of Bill Cashmire, who was spotting him from behind, like picked him up out of the hole a little bit, you know, although Tom won't admit to it. But, <laughs> right. You know, we had a crowd of 10,000 people, all Germans like Tom, and they all went crazy when Tom stood up with that weight. So I said, what am I going to do now? Because you know, <laughs> I'm not going to throw on a couple of 10-pound plates or something like that and, and, and barely beat Tom. There's no honor in that. So I put on 45s on both sides, and I ended up, ended up squatting 855 pounds, 20 pounds over the world record that I held. <laughs> wow, wow. 
Of course, it wasn't a world record because we, we weren't being judged, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's that's amazing. I've seen some of the videos on, on YouTube, and it's just, uh, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing to watch that. Tom ended up doing 24 reps, <laughs> which is sick, really yeah. sick. And uh, I could... I, I, I barely managed to get out of 11 or 12. I can't remember what. Right. Now, obviously, that would be attributed to the different styles and training. I mean, Tom obviously oh, was yeah. known yeah. for his he high rep training. He had an anaerobic threshold far beyond mine. Yes. Because that's how he trained. Right. Absolutely. You know, I never did more than five reps, six reps. Do you have a, a failure or a, or a major challenge looking back on your career as an athlete? And maybe what did you learn from, from that challenge or, or failure? Well, no, I, you know, I can't really say that I did. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why. I, see, I, I was one of those rare people that couldn't care less about competition. I, I wasn't in the sport to compete at all. You know, I, I, didn't like, I didn't like it when other people beat me. Right. It's true. But uh, I was in a break world records, period. Okay. That was my motivation. That was why I lifted. And uh, if somebody beat me, that means that I didn't break a world record. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, it never really bothered me to fail. I was, you know, I was very careful about my choosing my attempts. You know, I failed uh, once. I fell backwards with uh, 1,010 pounds on the bar. I, one time I, uh, I blew my quad with about the same amount of weight, you know, and uh, but don't, that's just the luck of the draw. That's that's what the sport is all about, and that's why, uh, you know, if, if it weren't for the fact that powerlifting at that level was dangerous, everybody would be doing it. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So those definitely aren't really failures. They're more of uh, setbacks or challenges. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. Challenges, experiences, things to learn from. No failure. I, I did not fail. Doc, I've got two. Vocabulary. Doc, I've got two important questions I wanted to ask you. Um, the first one is: What would be the best training advice or method you'd recommend right now to induce strength over a six to twelve week time period? Well, you know, my point of view hasn't changed on that. You know, I, I, uh, okay, I'll, I have to tell a story to make it sink in. Sure. When, when I went there the first time to the Soviet Union and Verkashansky did. And I hooked up the second time I went there. We had some long talks. And right about that same time, the Soviet Union was no more. The wall came down. So I ended up going to uh, Rome to meet with Verkashansky on three or four different occasions. And when I first went there, powerlifting was not a sport that was ever contested in the Soviet Union. They called it fake lifting. And the reason they called it fake lifting is because guys were wearing heavy knee wraps, you know, and and uh, super suits, which you know by today's standards were nothing. It was just like a tight uh, singlet, right? And uh, anyway, they called it fake lifting, and the only lifting that the Soviets gave a damn about was Olympic weightlifting. So they didn't compete. But that that all changed when my book came out over there, and Ver- and Verkashansky began coaching a few people and talking about it over there. Then, uh, of course, the Soviets came back with a vengeance and, and to the point where they, they, they over, over the United States, just like they did in Olympic weightlifting. And uh, the things that we, that, uh, that, uh, we discuss, Verkashansky and I, are the things that I still believe. I haven't seen anything better come along in the past two decades. Uh, and uh, I, I, I devised, based on Verkashansky's teachings, a 12-week peaking cycle or an 80-day peaking cycle, whatever you want to call it, and also a quick peak cycle where you could peak inside of six weeks. Yes. If you had yes. peak coming up. And, and uh, basically, it's, uh, it's a, a periodization scheme that uh, is freely available to all from my website and also my, uh, if all i got to do is email me, I'll send it to them. If they can't find it on my website, drsquat.com. Which is currently being completely overhauled. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Is the website functional right now, Doc? It's functional. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I mean, all it has on there is some information, some of my old articles, and some trainer, uh, personal trainer tools, 
and uh, a little blog spot that I use occasionally. But all of the uh, stuff that was being sold from that website is all gone because that wasn't mine anyway. That was It used to be mine years ago, but uh, ProPower, that company that was on my website, is moved to its own website now. And the only thing that's, uh, that uh, I have any interest in at all from the ProPower days is the Bodycraft software, which I developed years ago and uh, continue to still develop it. And Bodycraft software is still from that website as well as from the, the ProPower website. And you can get there by going to uh, bodycraftonline.com. Um, so the the program, again, was the uh, the Quick Peak Cycle. And uh, I'm very familiar with that program, actually. It's a gr- great program. So uh, you can find that on your website, drsquat.com. And I'll, I believe it's still there. Yeah. I'll, I'll check it after we're offline here, and I'll make sure that it is if it isn't. Yeah. What I'll try to do is uh, put a link for that in the show notes for this episode as well. So. Yeah, cool. Uh, all right. So the other question is really the same question. What would be the best training advice or method to induce muscular hypertrophy over a six to 12 week time period? Boy, well, you know, I'm going to tell you something about bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. Bodybuilding has gone bonkers. You know, it's gone like uh, into the, into the, into the dark. All right. I'm sorry to say, you know, with, with the, with the massive amounts of dangerous drugs the guys are taking nowadays. I'm so thoroughly uh, disgusted with it and opposed to it. And uh, if, if, you know, if any, anybody ever asked me to help them bodybuild, uh, I would have to think twice because I, I just don't want to get involved in that world of drugs. It's just uh, horrendous. I mean, they're using very, very powerful, dangerous drugs. Did you see the uh, the uh, bodybuilders in the last Olympia, where they have these hugely distended abdominals, and and uh, you know they look like freaks. You know, I, I'm I'm up for that. Yeah, I mean I've I seen some of the old, pictures. Well, I don't. Know. I, I right. just don't think that's attractive or appealing, right. and it certainly isn't healthy. Right. And you know, when I was coming up, bodybuilding was considered to be the healthy thing to do, and it still is. It's you know to me, bodybuilding is healthy. Powerlifting is not healthy. You get hurt powerlifting. You don't get hurt bodybuilding, you know, and it's good for your fitness, for your overall health and well-being bodybuilding is, but not the way it's practiced in today's world. Right. Well, what so about- to answer your question, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, even a natural body, bodybuilder has some tricks that they can, uh, they can um, pull out of their grab bag. One of them is to start looking seriously at, at fiber fusion, looking at in farmer's terms, a crop of, of uh, type 2B cells through careful periodization, and then you rip the dickens out of them with a lot of eccentric stress, eccentric training, and, and at the same time, block cortisol. And what happens is that those damaged cells fuse with surrounding satellite cells and grow double their proportion. Almost 100%, literally, over the course of time. And, but, it, you know, it's a very exacting science, and everybody's a little bit different. you got to tweak your program, and you got to understand the science. And that's where bodybuilding has gone, it, into, this, into good science, really good, deep science. Uh, not all of bodybuilding is dark side. Right, right. And really, I guess I should clarify the question was more just for the the general fitness enthusiast or athlete who who's looking to add some mass to their to their physique. Not necessarily, you know, a hardcore bodybuilder, but just someone that's looking to pack on some some size. Go lift something heavy and <laughs> eat a lot of food. Yeah, it really does come down to eating a lot, a lot more. Yeah, you got you got to get the calories in if you're going to grow. And but uh, to make sure that it's muscle, you do a lot of heavy lifting. Right. Heavy lifting. Absolutely. Doc, I wanted to ask you what quality of strength you would consider most important. Uh, for what athlete? You see, there's different types of strength. Yes. Uh, there's, <laughs> You're there's absolutely right. Starting strength. There's explosive strength. There's uh, anaerobic strength. Strength endurance where you're always pressing against the anaerobic threshold to continue. See, in all the world of sports, speed is king. I've already said that. Yes. But but uh, depending upon the metabolic circumstances inherent in your sport, 
you're going to be training for a different type of strength than from the type of strength that I trained for, which was limit strength. Right. So something we always share here on the podcast, and that is it depends on the goal. I mean, that's really what you're saying is the quality that's strength right. depends it, on And it really does. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, when you take a look at, at how a muscle functions, you'll find out that muscles are very plastic. They will conform uh, because based upon the said principles, this adaptation to impose demands, SAID, they will conform uh, to the demands that you impose upon it uh, within the specific confines of the organelles involved. Let me ask you about that. How would you, I guess, what's the easiest way to define the actual science of getting stronger? Well, strength training. I mean, I don't know what you're looking for, but uh, when, when you, when I say strength training, of course, I mean limit strength because I'm a power lifter. Yes. But when I, but when I train body power lifters, I mean, when I train football players, for example, and I say it's time to go strength train, I'm not talking about limit strength anymore. I, depending upon when their periodized cycle, uh, it, it most likely is going to be starting strength or explosive strength or anaerobic strength endurance, you know? Instead of limit strength. Yes, right. And, and, and uh, there are some athletes, like, for example, high jumpers, where starting strength is everything. And so they don't even mess around with anything else. They just work the starting thing to get their lean bodies up off the ground as high as possible. Irregardless of the strength, does it come down to recruiting more Motor neurons, muscle fibers. I mean, I, I guess that maybe that was the, the answer I was looking for. And when you take a look at the strength curve, it looks like a little sideways S. Angle Q is the upward slope of the concentric movement. Yes. And the steeper that slope, the faster you are recruiting motor units. And the faster you recruit motor units, the more motor units you're going to recruit. And so that's the true secret to strength is angle Q. And that's a part of starting strength. That's why speed is king in all of sport. That angle cue is very important. And the other part of the strength curve that's very important, of course, is F max, or the maximum amount of force that you exert. Bear in mind that in all the world of sport, except powerlifting, which is an exception, in all the world of sport, max in milliseconds, only powerlifters, take a second or more to reach their limit strength. You cannot reach your limit strength in anything less than a half a second to three quarters of a second. You can't do it. So most athletes never even see their limit strength reached in their sport movement. And so the Soviets, vis-a-vis Verkashansky, they, they worship the thing that they called the gap. They want F-Max to be as close to limit strength as possible without giving up speed. Uh, you know, and I, I've talked to him about super training on many, many occasions. Yes. And, uh, it, of course, Verkashansky is dead now. And yes. God rest his soul, I, I really miss that guy. Yeah. But, he, you know, he he told me that the guy that he worked with to uh, to put orchestrate that book was a guy by the name of Mel Siff from South Africa. Yes. Who's a very smart fella himself. Right. And Mel was also the very, very... Um, sly person, if you, if I may, and uh, and uh, long story short, he cheated Verkashansky out of a huge amount of money uh, for the sale on those books. Oh, wow! And so Verkashansky and Mel Schiff are both dead now. Yes, but they 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 uh, they died bitter enemies because of that super training book. Although I will say, I I, I t- discussed super training with Verkashansky on a number of occasions. He said much of it was indeed his work, but Mel Schiff stuck in a bunch of his own stuff, which he didn't think very highly of. <laughs> oh, wow. So, wow. How would you, I'm curious, how would you rate that book in terms of, um, you know, being one of the greatest strength training books? Would you, would you classify it as one of the top books? In the area of strength training? It's one of the top books, no question about it. But. I, I would recommend first, before you, you even bother with that, is to read some of other Verkashansky's other stuff that, that antedates super training, therefore being much more current and, and, uh, and worthwhile. 
What's the book or um, resource you'd recommend there? God, I, you know, there's three or four things that he wrote. I, I have all of his work, and I don't remember any of it. And it's in boxes right now. I told you I moved. <laughs> right. And, no problem. My entire library is inside of a box. Yeah. I do have one of his other books. Unfortunately, it's on a bookshelf that I can't get to right now. So <laughs> uh, I'm not sure the name of that book either, but I'll attach uh, but, but, that you know, title. You Google Eric Koshansky, and you'll find his website. And yes. all of his stuff, especially his latest stuff, is listed there uh, through his daughter. His daughter is uh, selling a lot of his books and stuff like that. Right. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but she was a pretty good athlete in her own right, as was Vera Shansky's first wife. Yes, yes. Pretty athletic uh, family all around. Yes. Oh, yeah, you, you just can't even believe it. She was a, a world-class shot putter, as I recall. Oh, wow. Now, since, since we're talking about books, uh, I really wanted to ask you this question. What is the book that you, you are most proud of and why? Okay. The book that I'm most proud of is, is called uh, The Complete Guide to Fitness. And it is the textbook for the International Sports Sciences Association. And it represents my life's work. It's a pretty thick book. And it's a textbook, but it reads like a comic book. <laughs> my, my intent was to reach the kids out there who needed to know all about fitness and how to get it. My intent was never to impress my colleagues. Wow. And, but that's the book that I'm the most proud of. It's the most complete. It's the most current. I just recently uh, writing bunches of it, bunch of that book, um, and, uh, but you can't buy it. You have to, you have to take the course. Oh, okay. Okay. So. Uh, on the other hand, you can get some of the earlier complete guidebooks that were updated. You can buy them on Amazon. I, I've noticed that a lot of booksellers have gotten reused copies from former students who probably went broke, needed some money and sold a textbook to a bookseller. And there are plenty of those books out there in Amazon. So you can get just about, uh, the, uh, of those early books that I wrote, I, I, I have three that I'm most proud of. Okay. And uh, uh, one of them is called A Scientific Approach. And then the other two are Bodybuilding, A Scientific Approach, and Hardcore Bodybuilding, A Scientific Approach. Those three books yes. are my best, my best work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember being... Uh... A young kid, you know, reading these books, you know, when I was into bodybuilding in my earlier days and, um, yeah, had a major, major impact on me. So great, great A lot books. of people told me that. Yes. And in fact, all three of those books were, uh, in their prime bestsellers. Yes, absolutely. And they still hold true today, which is amazing. I mean, all the, uh, you know, I have to tell you, you know, I, I reread all of those books. The other thing that I said to myself was, I don't know, I don't remember ever knowing that. <laughs> so, so, That's uh, wild. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, those books are still very current, very up to date. They were ahead of their time. I don't mind telling you. Yeah, no, I and, absolutely agree. There are some things, of course, which have changed, but uh, that'll become apparent when when a student reads through. Yeah, I've just been rereading Power recently, actually. So I pulled that one out again and started rereading it and just going through the great insights in that book. And there's a ton. So another question I have for you is uh, this comes from a video that I saw, a great video of you on, on YouTube. And in the video, you said uh, there's no such thing as a fit individual. I'm curious, do you still, yeah. do you still stand by that statement? And can oh, you, absolutely. Can you, explain, to, can you explain what you it's mean? It's common sense. Yes. Here, here's, here's what I meant. Yes. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to tell me that you were fit as a, as a marathon runner, or if you wanted to tell me that you were fit as a powerlifter, just for example, or a sumo wrestler or a gymnast, can you not see that each one of those athletes, great athletes all, in their respective sports, may be considered fit. But if you cross them over into any one of the other sports, they would look like jerks and unfit. Yes. And so my point is this. What you, what you, what you uh, require for, the, for 
for fitness in one endeavor will not be required for fitness in another. And in fact, may detract from your overall fitness in the other sport if you try to get it. If I worked hard to make myself better at, uh, at long-distance running while I was a powerlifter, I, my powerlifting would suffer. Right. And, and, and uh, those are extreme examples of what I meant when I said there's no such thing as a fit individual. But I think you see my point. Yes. So you have to then go back to the definition of fitness. What does the word fitness mean? And it's, it's a very individual thing. What, what fitness is for a steel worker is not what fitness is for his boss. What's fit for a soldier or a Marine is not fitness for the general who commands him. And, and by, by no means does that mean to say that the general or the boss are not fit. See, fitness is your ability to meet the exigencies of your lifestyle with ease and with a little bit of room to spare for emergency situations or to enjoy your hobby or any other thing that you're doing. That's what fitness is. It's a very personal thing. Yes. Yes. So you really have to define it. You really, you know, because fitness is such a broad term, but it really needs to be defined very clearly because again, you just mentioned the definition of what it, what it is, but it, it's, you know, it's going to be I different for so many people. Those lines. Uh-huh. You know, when, when uh, I, I hear personal fitness trainers uh, introducing themselves to their client for the very first time and they say to them after the introductions are over and they say to them as follows, well, what is it that you want to, want to accomplish? What are your goals? Well, that's the silliest thing I ever heard in my life because <laughs> you don't know who that person is. Right. And that person doesn't have any idea what their capabilities are. <laughs> right. Right. You know? And so what it boils down to is this. The average person hiring a fitness instructor wants to shoehorn themselves into a size five dress for the first time since high school. <laughs> and they'd be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so you, you don't ask a person what they want to accomplish. After you get to know them a little bit, it's going to become clear that Mrs. Jones, who is now uh, 84 years old and walking on a walker, used to be a world-class sprinter in her 20s. But she can't be a world-class sprinter anymore. For her, just getting off of that walker would be a major fitness accomplishment. There's a lot of uh, trainers, coaches that listen to the show. What's a better first question uh, for a trainer as they get to work with their client? What, what should they be asking instead of what's your top goal? Well, here's my favorite little introduction. I hold out my hand and I say, make believe I'm the medical doctor. And in this hand, and I hold out one of my hands and I say, I have this pill. It's been around for about a decade or two. It works. It causes some hair loss. It causes uh, you know, a little bit of acne, uh, sometimes uh, upset stomach, and it doesn't always work, but it works pretty good for most people most of the time. And here in this other hand, I have this pill, and you'll be cured, and you'll, and you'll never get sick again. I think I'm going to give you this pill over here that I introduced the first time. And they're going to look at me, and they're going to say, well, I don't want that pill. I want the new one. And so... My, my, the first thing I tell my, my clients is what we're going to do is we're going to go on a quest for the best that science has to offer. Don't come to me with preconceived notions. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're capable of achieving. You, you, it may be that you want to go out and play tennis for the first time since college. Even though you can't do that right now, maybe three months down the road, you're going to want to do that. We don't know that. So I know what your goal is. Your, your goal is to drop some of the excess weight that you have and get yourself reasonably fit so that you can enjoy life again. And then the whole world of possibilities are going to open up to you. So That's I think, what I tell you. So I think a big thing is really to get them going down the right path, get to know them, and then help them focus in on maybe their ideal goals. That's right. Adopting yeah. a fitness lifestyle is the goal of, a, of all personal fitness trainers to help their client adopt a fitness lifestyle.
Doc, I got a qu- one more question here, and then we're going to move into the uh, Power 3 segment, which is a, kind of a rapid-fire question series. But So the final question here in the, the regular segment is, what would you consider to be your greatest achievement as a coach? You know, I've, I've, I've coached elite athletes. I've coached kids. I've coached uh, high school and college athletes. I've coached uh, drug addicts. And I consider it to be hugely rewarding and successful for me personally if I'm able to positively impact that person's life and bring them someplace where they have never been before. Even elite athletes I do that with. Yes. And that's that's what I that's what that to me that's what success is for, for me personally is to see a success in my clients. All right, let's uh, let's go into this power three segment here. Three rapid fire questions, very short answer. And uh, so I want to ask you about uh, other than your own books, what would you say was the single greatest strength training book that you've read or that you would recommend to others? Yeah, super training. Super training. All right. Yeah, uh, failing that one. Any one of Verkashanti's other books. Yeah, for sure. When you think of the word strong, uh, who comes to, to mind for you? Bill Cashmire. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. What is the legacy of Dr. Fred Hatfield? You know, it's funny that you would say that, Scott, because I just spent, you know, three or four minutes describing to you what I would hope would be my legacy. is yes. to leave some good behind. Well, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. And I think you have certainly done that with the, uh, the mass... Uh, amount of people, fitness enthusiasts, coaches, elite athletes, general population but, athletes. Know, I mean, it's I'm, it's, I'm, it's amazing. I'm into, I'm into a different gig these days, though. Yeah. When people ask me, do I still train athletes? No, not much. You know, uh, there are younger guys out there that are really savvy and they know their stuff, and uh, they they're all a fire. They get the fire in their belly to help people uh, in the uh, elite sports arena. I'm going to leave that up to them. My job now lately, and anybody who follows me at all on Facebook knows this, I want people to begin to recognize that there are three facets to fitness that, that people uh, sometimes forget. Uh, the first one, everybody knows, it's the body. The second one, everybody's aware of, it's the mind. But the third one is the spirit. I, you know, I believe in, in my heart that you cannot, you cannot achieve anything close to your maximum potential without first delving into that deep consciousness that you have, that all people are born with, which is where the spirit resides. Right. Call it the Holy Spirit if you want. How do we, uh, what advice do you have? To... Let me give you an example of that. I'll give yeah, you an yeah. example of that. It's when, I, when I put my hands on the bar to do a squat, all of a sudden, I was in a different place, and there was no time, there was no space. My, my five senses were all shut down completely. I didn't feel the pain of the bar. I didn't feel the sweat dripping in my eye or the chalk dust in the ear. I didn't hear the crowd. Nothing. I went down and I came up, just like my training taught me. I was in a different place. I was deep into myself, into my inner consciousness. Some people like to refer to that place as the kingdom. It's the, uh, the peak mental state. Most athletes refer to it as peak performance or, or the zone. Yes. So what advice do you have for people to develop that? Because I'm really into mindset and, and getting into you know, that type of state when you're training. And what, what advice do you have for people to condition that type of response? Two, two things. There are some really, really good self-help books out there. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm, in, I'm in love with a half a dozen of them. I'll just mention a couple. Sure. Um, um, I love some of Alan Watts' early stuff. I don't know if anybody knows who Alan Watts is. He's from my era, which is why I like him. <laughs> but uh, Tolly, Eckhart Tolly. Yes. His stuff yes. is like beyond belief. I love his stuff. And there's, there's an, uh, James Allen has written some beautiful stuff. I highly recommend those two guys, Tolly and Allen. Okay. And, uh, and uh, once you begin reading 
their stuff. You're going to understand what it is I'm talking about because that's what they do. They teach you how to bring yourself into the now, to leave your ego behind, to die to self, as Christ used to say, die to self. Forget the past, forget the future, and the ego feeds off of the past and future, and the ego dies when you begin to live in the now. You can't squat a thousand pounds unless you're in the now, my friend. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm looking here at Alan Watts, and it looks like he has a lot of books out. Yeah, I, I love his tapes. I like to listen to him. He's yeah. very engaging as a speaker. Yeah. I've got all of his tapes. He's really good, remarkable guy. Interesting. Uh, I'm not familiar with him at all. So uh, making a note of that. That's very interesting. Speaking of books here as well, you have a new book out with uh, Josh Bryant. And I was fortunate yeah. to have Josh on the show some time ago. He's fantastic. And the yeah. book is uh, The Complete Guide to Dumbbell Training. So uh, why dumbbells? Well, listen, you know, I, there's a half a dozen books out on the market right now about dumbbell training. Yeah. And none of them hit the mark. Okay. You know, and I got to talking to Josh about it. And I sent him a manuscript of a book that I had written about five, eight years ago on dumbbell training. All right. And he added some of his stuff to it. And and the result was just a real blockbuster of a book. I, I, I'm in love with that book. I think it's a great book. And if, if I had... If I had uh, my choice, if I only was given one choice of how to go about training, I would make sure that I had myself a, a nice set of dumbbells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the way to train, man. So is this book more for a bodybuilding style approach or strength approach? How would you, Who's it for? For everybody who wants to lift weights, even Mrs. Jones. <laughs> Good. I'll have to check that out. That sounds uh, really interesting, so... Dr. Hatfield, this has been fantastic. I have one final question, uh, the question I asked every guest on the show, and that's what's the big advice or action? Well, that, that's a real simple question. Yeah. Get off the lazy butt, get to work, <laughs> and enjoy life. Yeah. And I, I am here to tell you that you are going to find far greater enjoyment in your life if you are fit. Yes. At least marginally so. Now, let me ask a follow-up to that, too, because a lot of people that listen here, at least my understanding is from the audience interaction I've had, is that a lot of people are really into training who listen to this show. So what advice do you have for those that are training at a higher level? You know, some of, some of the athletes and, and higher-level trainers and things like that. What can they do to, to improve their training and, and take things up a notch? Okay. Everything that you do in the gym it's got to be according to the letter of the law. Now, just like living out in public, you can't drive at over a certain limit. You, you're not allowed to kill people. You're not allowed to rob people. You know, you have to follow the law. Otherwise, you get thrown in jail. You suffer consequences, don't you? Well, in a weight room, it's the same way. There are laws governing how best to train with weights. We call them the seven granddaddy laws. There's only seven laws. And whatever it is that you do in the gym should adhere to all seven of these laws. You'll never go wrong. Now, I know you've talked about this before, and I'm going to try to uh, find that article on those seven laws to uh, attach in the show notes for, the, uh, for this interview session. And uh, great advice. Dr. Hatfield, this has been awesome, a great interview. Really enjoyed it. Such a pleasure and honor, and uh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Scott. Call anytime, man. All right, guys, what a great interview from Dr. Fred Hatfield. And other than the technical challenges there, the content was fantastic. So I hope that you learned a lot from it and were able to uh, take some key learnings away from that, no matter where you are in your training, because Dr. Hatfield certainly has some great, great insights. Be sure to check out the article that we were just talking about, that Seven Laws article that was written by Craig Marker on BreakingMuscle.com. Again, I'll have a link for that article in the show notes for the episode, so definitely check that out. Also wanted to mention the other book that I was referring to by Dr. Yuri Verkoshansky is a book called Special Strength Training Manual for Coaches, another great book by Dr. Verkoshansky. This, this book is actually more of the practical application of his training methods, so very uh, practical based, a lot of programming in the book. Again, it's very high level. So it's maybe not necessarily for the, uh, the lay person because it's so scientific and very detailed, but man, if you're into that, definitely get it because super training and this book are really, really outstanding, not light reading by any means, but 
certainly some of the best books in the area of strength and performance training, and I'd highly recommend them both. So, and then finally, review the show. Let me know which review is yours, and you can be entered to win a $50 gift card for Rogue Fitness. Again, it's very simple and uh, to enter to, to win a gift card, very simple to drop in your review in iTunes or Stitcher and uh, wanted to give you that incentive to do that. So that would be awesome. I look forward to the next two weeks and uh, hopefully we'll have some great reviews in there. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, as always, uh, let me know what you'd like to hear or comments about the show. Catch me on Facebook.com, Instagram, or even on the website, whatever method is easiest for you. Thanks again. And I'll see you next week on the Ardella training podcast. Take care guys. Thanks for listening to the Ardella training podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts, get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella training podcast.